There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Health Essentials Podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. My name is Cassandra Holloway, and I'll be your host for this episode. We're broadcasting virtually as we are practicing social distancing guidelines during the coronavirus pandemic. We're joined virtually by Dr. Payal Soni. Dr. Soni, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So if you've ever struggled with the physical pain of migraine headaches, you likely know the emotional pain that also comes with it. Migraines can derail your plans, limit your day-to-day activities, and cause a variety of symptoms. Today, we'll do a deep dive into migraine headaches. We'll discuss everything from the different types, treatment options available, and prevention. Before we get into this episode, we want to take a moment to remind listeners that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own doctor's advice. Also, please note that this interview was pre-recorded and does not reflect any changes to COVID-19 precautions that may have been made after the recording. So Dr. Sony, I first wanna start off by asking if you'll tell us a little bit about your practice at Cleveland Clinic and the types of patients you typically see. Sure, so I did both my neurology residency as well as my headache fellowship here at Cleveland Clinic. And then I've stayed on as staff in our headache and facial pain section. Broadly, I see patients, um, adult patients with headache. Uh, I see more commonly migraine and tension type headache because that's more common in our general population. But I also see patients with rare headache disorders like cluster, hemicrania continua, as well as patients with facial pain like like trigeminal neuralgia. So I wanna start off here with like the very basics of what are migraine headaches? How would you describe that? So good question. Migraine headaches are more than kind of just a headache. So migraine is a neurologic disorder. It involves impaired electrical signaling in the brain, inflammation, as well as dysregulation of neurotransmitters that all lead to this migraine attack. Uh, There's something that's called the International Classification of Headache Disorders, and this lists the diagnostic criteria for migraine. Um, So these are symptoms that a headache has to fulfill in order to be called migraine. So if we look at, if we look based on that criteria, we see that migraine headaches are typically one-sided. They usually involve throbbing or pulsating pain. They're long headaches, so they can last anywhere from four hours to 72 hours. They're disabling, which I like to describe that if basically it means that if you had the choice, you would prefer to lie down if you could. Um, Oftentimes our patients don't necessarily have that choice, so they may have to work through it. And then migraine headaches are associated with light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, or nausea. So it seems like the symptoms run a whole gamut between, you know, um, just a little bit of pain and, uh, you know, some symptoms to very severe and very debilitating, it sounds like. Exactly. So oftentimes you hear people who suffer from migraine headaches that they can feel a migraine coming on, whether it's a couple hours or a couple days before. Are there different phases or stages of a migraine? Yes, there's actually four different stages of migraine, which may be surprising to some patients because they may think that their migraine attack is just the pain itself. 
In fact, migraine can start hours or days before the actual pain. So that first phase of migraine is called the prodrome or the premonitory phase. Uh, like I said, it can be hours or days before the migraine attack. And um, the symptoms can vary patient by patient. Usually patients may describe fatigue, difficulty with concentration, yawning, food cravings. They may even get some of that light and noise sensitivity before they feel the actual pain coming on. This prodrome is, is important because if patients can kind of recognize that, then they're able to treat their headaches more, more effectively. So the prodrome is followed by the aura phase. All patients with migraine don't actually experience aura. In fact, migraine without aura is more common than migraine with aura. Aura is defined as transient neurologic symptoms that occur with a gradual onset, are fully reversible, and are followed by a typical migraine headache. Visual aura is the most common, so patients often describe seeing kaleidoscope vision or a central blurry spot in their vision or sparklers or zigzag lines in their vision. But aura can also be sensory with numbness or tingling on one side of the body or motor with weakness on one side of the body or involves speech changes. The key is that the aura symptoms are fully reversible. And then following the aura, we have the actual migraine attack phase, which involves all those migraine symptoms we just talked about. And then the final phase is the postrome. This is the part from where that throbbing pain ends and to the point where the patient feels completely back to normal. And during this phase, patients often have non-headache symptoms. And this is the symptoms are similar to what we saw in the prodrome. So fatigue, trouble concentrating, as well as some lingering neck pain or light and noise sensitivity. And this can be hours or even days for some patients as well. So I think it's really interesting when you were talking about aura migraines, that aura can cause other disturbances beyond just visual symptoms. They can cause other physical symptoms as well. Can you talk a little bit more about those symptoms? Yeah, sure. So um, with aura, visual aura is the most common type of aura, but aura can be sensory or motor or speech. Aura occurs because of something called cortical spreading depression. This is basically a wave of electrical activity that goes over the brain during a migraine attack and it activates different parts of the brain. So the part of the brain that gets activated is uh, the part that causes the aura. So most frequently it's the occipital cortex or the visual uh, center of the brain, but sometimes it can activate the sensory cortex or the speech area and cause speech symptoms or sensory symptoms like numbness and tingling as well. So you had mentioned that migraines can last anywhere between, you know, four hours up to 72 hours or three days. And it's it common for a patient to gradually just go through these four stages that you had mentioned? Do some hang out kind of in the aura phase a little bit longer? Do some hang out in the attack phase a little bit longer? I assume it's pretty individualized. Yeah, it's very individualized. So some patients may not even, even if they try to look, they may not find clear prodrome symptoms. Um, Aura typically lasts up to 60 minutes. Um, So aura that lasts longer than that is usually something that needs to be evaluated by a physician. Um, But in the criteria for aura, it can last up to 60 minutes. And then the migraine attack itself can last up to three hours. Sometimes patients can get into what we call a status migranosis cycle. And that's when these migraine attack symptoms last longer than three days. And often those will 
those will require additional medications to help break up that cycle. So there's different phases or stages of, my, of, of a migraine, but are there also different types of migraines? Yeah, there are. So in, in, in broad terms, we kind of categorize migraine into migraine with aura and migraine without aura. As I had mentioned, migraine without aura is more common, and that's about 80% of all patients with migraine, and about 20% have migraine with aura. The migraine with aura is further subdivided into um, different types, such as vestibular migraine or retinal migraine or hemiplegic migraine. And that basically refers to the type of aura the patient gets. If someone were to ask you the difference between a migraine and a quote, normal or traditional headache, what would you tell them? So I think, you know, that that's one of those that questions that can be hard to differentiate patient to patient. Um, a lot of times patients that have migraine often have um, different milder types of headaches that occur along a spectrum. One of the things that I often tell my patients is that, is this headache something that is disabling? Is it something that you can work through or is it something that you need to lie down with or you would prefer to really lie down with? Um, if you need to lie down with it, if it's disabling, then it's more likely a migraine than a tension type headache or a milder headache. That's interesting. So one of the flagship symptoms to look for then is if you cannot carry through with your day-to-day -day activities, that might be kind of entering into migraine territory. Exactly. And so I want to talk a little bit now about the causes. You touched on them here and there, but I want to talk specifically about triggers. So what causes a migraine to begin with? So, you know, migraine is one of those things that's very heavily influenced by our environment and our lifestyle. So you, you'll often hear about migraine triggers and these triggers are also very individualized. So what's a trigger for one person may not be a trigger for another person. Common triggers are things like hormones. So women may especially notice that they tend to get more migraines around their menstrual cycle. Uh, weather changes are common. So uh, especially here up in Cleveland, when we get the season changes, then that can be a big trigger for a lot of patients. Uh, certain foods, alcohol, dehydration, sleep, either too much or too little sleep, uh, as well as stress. And this can be a stressful event or even, you know, a stress relief or a letdown from stress can be a trigger for some patients. So a lot of lifestyle and environmental factors play a role into migraine. Um, one thing I would say to keep in mind is that, you know, these triggers may not always be consistent. So if you, you know, had alcohol one day and it caused a migraine and you had alcohol an, another day and it didn't, doesn't mean that that's not a trigger for you, but it may have been that perfect storm of kind of other contributing factors as well, as well that contributed to that first headache. Wow, so it sounds like the triggers for a migraine can run the whole gamut between stuff that you do on purpose or stuff that just, like you said, the perfect storm that kind of lines up. And you could, you could tell just by what you were saying, it could be really frustrating for people to try to pinpoint what's causing it or, or what's triggering it. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It can be definitely be frustrating. And because of that, it sometimes feels like these attacks can just be really random as well. So how common are migraines? Do most people get them at least once in their life? Is it you know, or risk factors for a certain group? Uh, migraine is very common. Migraine affects about 12% of the, of the U.S. population. This is probably an underestimation because migraine often goes undiagnosed or patients may not seek care for their migraines. Migraine is more common in women. 
um, about two to three times more common in women actually compared to men. And the most common age group is actually in our midlife years. So patients age 30 to 39, although migraine can affect patients at any stage, at any age. So you could be, so you said the, the main, the highest incident is between ages 30 and 39. So, but you could be say 50 and all of a sudden develop a migraines out of nowhere. So yes, you can. Um, late, late onset migraine is something that we see. However, in patients that are older, so over the age of 50, whenever they develop a new type of headache, even if it meets migraine criteria, typically requires workup to rule out a secondary headache. So that would be something to see your physician about and talk about whatever testing may be needed to rule out other causes of headache at that time. And how common are headaches in younger kids, like children or adolescents? So in younger kids, it's fair, they're fairly common as well. So we can see migraine in school-age children. Um, and then as um, especially for girls, when they kind of reach puberty, start getting their menstrual cycle, that can be a big trigger for, uh, for a lot of girls as well. Um, interestingly, uh, in younger kids, um, boys are more likely to have migraine than girls compared to young adults where we see that women are more likely than men. If you suffer from migraines, are you likely to have them always or will they kind of dwindle and go away after you kind of reach that 40 kind of age group or will you always suffer from them? Good question. And that's, that's kind of hard to say because it's so variable person to person. In general, migraines do tend to improve with age. Um, often we tell women that after menopause, migraines tend to improve. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel uh, there, but um, <laughs> migraine is a chronic disorder. So that means there's no cure for it. So our goal with treatment is to reduce your overall number of headaches and then help manage the attacks that you do get effectively. Um, so in general, they may they improve but that may not be the case for all patients. Can you talk a little bit about the family history correlation between migraines and, and having a family member that also suffers? Yeah, so migraine is a genetic disorder. We consider it a, a, a genetic disorder, but the exact genetics are not known, and that's something that's still being studied. About 80% of patients that have migraine will also have at least one first-degree relative that also has migraine. Um, so that's how we know that it tends to run in families. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that the headaches, uh, patients, family members may not always talk about headaches. So uh, you may not, they may not volunteer that they have migraine, but um, I always ask patients to ask you know, a few more detailed questions to see if anybody in their family uh, has had a headache in the past that does meet migraine criteria. Um, and also, you know, just how much it affects an, an individual varies as well. So there may be, you know, members in your family that may have only had, you know, 10 migraines in their lifetime, whereas the patient may have 10 migraines in a month. So how frequent they are can vary person to person. And so if someone is listening to this podcast and it's kind of resonating with them, they think maybe I do have migraines, uh, at what point do you think that they should seek help and where should they start off? Should they start off with their primary care doctor or a specialist? Kind of what's their, their starting point here? Yeah. So I always recommend early treatment. 
um, because our goal with treatment is to prevent patients from getting from that episodic migraine and progressing over into that chronic daily migraine. So a lot of times I'll see patients that have had classic migraine for years that just hasn't really been treated appropriately um, or they haven't sought care for it. And then over time, it's become a lot more disabling and then can be harder to treat. So if you do find that you, know, you have symptoms that sound like migraine, um, I'd recommend talking to your physician. The first step is to always talk with your family doctor. They can help screen for migraine or other types of headaches or other causes of headaches, and they can start medications. If the headaches are persistent, then you may require um, a referral to a headache specialist. So can you walk me through how a migraine is typically diagnosed once you're, you're seeing a specialist or you're seeing your family care doctor? Kind of what questions do they ask? Is, are there any tests that you typically run? So migraine is what we call a clinical diagnosis. There's no blood test or imaging test that we do to diagnose it. It depends on the description of your symptoms. So when you see a doctor for migraines or headaches, they'll first get a focused history. So they'll ask you, how often are you getting the headaches? What do the headaches feel like? What associated symptoms do you have with it? And how long are they lasting? And what do you do to treat it? And then based on that, they'll do a neurologic exam um, and then if you meet criteria for migraine, you'll most likely be diagnosed with migraine. In general, no other blood test or imaging test is needed for the diagnosis. So once you are diagnosed, what types of treatment are, are available? So lots of, lots of different types of treatment. And um, there's basically two types of treatment for migraine. Preventive treatment, which is a medication that you take every day, regardless of whether or not you have a headache with the goal of reducing your overall number of headache days. And then rescue treatment, which is a medicine that you take when you have a headache with the goal of stopping the migraine. Which treatment strategy is right for you depends on a few things. Your overall number of headache days, the degree of disability that you have with the headaches, as well as how often you need to use these rescue medicines. One thing to note is that treatment doesn't always mean prescription medications. Um, rescue treatment strategies include non-pharmacologic treatments like resting in a dark room, using heat or ice, massage or stretching, yoga, relaxation techniques, over-the-counter medications, um, although these often may not be sufficient enough to kind of combat a migraine, as well as prescription medications that are migraine specific like triptans. And then preventive treatment strategies are also similar. So they can uh, involve implementing lifestyle changes. So working on diet or sleep, all these things that can be triggers, things that we do have control over. Some vitamin supplements, and I'd say definitely talk to your doctor about which supplements can be helpful for, you, for your specific case, as well as prescription medications. Patients that are refractory to some of these first-line treatments may be candidates for more specialized injectable medicines or procedures such as Botox injections, um, as well as some neuromodulation devices, devices. So talk to me more about these devices. Like, what does that entail? So there's a few different devices on the market. Um, neuromodulation basically means it's an external device that sends a electrical um, impulse to stimulate nerves in the head. So there's um, a device that you wear on your across your forehead 
There's a device that you put on the back of your head. There's a device that you actually put on your arm as well. And all of these have a little bit of a different mechanism of action, but they can be used um, as a rescue treatment. So when you have a headache and some can be used as a preventive treatment as well. So using every day to reduce your overall number of headaches. Devices may be good options for patients that can't tolerate, you know, medications because of side effects or if they prefer not to take medications. Um, in general, I would say they can be helpful as adjuncts um, and there's usually a little bit of a mixed response. So some patients have really good benefit, some patients may not have as much benefit. Often though, these, don't, these aren't covered by insurance so they can be a bit cost prohibitive as well. So you had mentioned Botox for treatment of migraines. Are there any other injectables that you could talk more about for treatment? Sure, so Botox is a procedure that's done in the office, that's done every three months. It's approved for the treatment of chronic migraine, and so that's for patients that have more than 15 headache days per month. There is a new class of migraine medications. They're called the CGRP monoclonal antibodies that have recently come out, and um, this is a really unique class because this is the first class of medicine that was specifically developed to treat migraine. So other medications that we traditionally had available had been used, you know, de developed for another cause. So we used blood pressure medicines or antidepressants or anti-seizure medicines. But this class of medicine has been specifically developed for migraine. They target a molecule called CGRP, which is an inflammatory molecule that's elevated in patients that have migraine. And they work to inhibit this molecule's action. Um, this class of medicine is also unique in that it's an, it's an injection. So it kind of comes like an EpiPen. So it's an injection that you give yourself every month. Um, it's not a pill that you're taking every day. So that's one benefit there. And they're, they're fairly well tolerated. So their side effect profile is definitely much favorable than some of the oral medications that we have. And these injectables, are they classified as rescue or preventative treatment or both? These are preventative treatments. So I imagine when you meet with your doctor and you start talking about preventative or rescue treatments, um, it's probably a little bit of trial and error at first, kind of figuring out what works or what doesn't work. And um, I think the importance is just talking to your doctor and figuring out the individualized plan for treatment is a, a big message to our listeners um, and just and finding your unique kind of treatment that works for you. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, migraine is unique and that, that's something that we've been talking, we've been saying again and again in this talk is that um, it varies person by person by person. So the symptoms you have, what treatment works best for you and how you respond to it will be very unique and individualized. And sometimes it does take some trial and error. Um, we unfortunately don't have a crystal ball that we can look into to know which medicine you're going to react best to. Um, so that's why you know that trial and error is there. Um, but if you stick with it and you have a doctor that's sticking with it, then um, they, these medicines can be really effective at reducing disability. And one last thing I wanted to ask you about treatments. You hear a lot of chatter about the dice piercing in the ear to kind of help with the pressure or kind of just reducing overall migraines. Is there any truth to that piercing? So you're right. There is a lot of a lot of chatter about the dice piercing. Um, in reality, there's really no scientific proof or 
research supporting the piercing as a pain treatment. There are some patients that say that their migraines improved after getting this piercing. Um, that evidence, though, is purely uh, anecdotal, and often these results are usually temporary and maybe due to placebo effect. In addition, the piercing is often painful and carries a high risk of infection, so that's not typically something that I recommend to my patients. The principle behind the date piercing, I believe, is based in acupuncture, and alternative treatments like ac acupuncture can be used as adjunctive treatments for migraine. When looking specifically at acupuncture, we still need a little bit more research behind the effectiveness of it. In, in my experience, patients have mixed results, but for patients that are interested in trying acupuncture with a licensed practitioner, I usually recommend a six treatment session to assess for efficacy. If left untreated, can migraines cause any long-term effects? Like, do they ever turn serious enough to cause death? Uh, the short answer there is no. Migraines can't cause something as serious as death. However, if they're untreated um, or not treated appropriately, they can lead to significant disability that can really impair um, a person's ability to do the things they need to do to live their life. So the last thing I want to ask you about here is about prevention. And we've talked briefly about this throughout this talk about lifestyle changes, but can migraines really be prevented at any point? So migraine, as we said, is a genetic disorder. The basis behind it is genetic. So um, while it's not as simple as one gene mutation causing you to have migraines, it's basically a... Um, combination of genetic factors as well as environmental factors that lead to a brain that's more predisposed to having migraine. So there are some things that we can control. We can work on environment and lifestyle modifications that can be really effective in reducing overall number of headache days and overall number of migraines. And then when these migraines do pop up, we wanna make sure that you have effective rescue treatment so that we can treat it effectively and get you back to functioning at 100%. Absolutely. And just a, a, a parting advice to our listeners, migraines are unique to each individual, as Dr. Sony has said, and uh, how they're managed is also unique. So work with your doctor um, to find out what works for you. Dr. Sony, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. For the latest news about migraine headaches, visit clevelandclinic.org slash headache. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts featuring experts at Cleveland Clinic, like Dr. Sony, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or visit clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts. Also, don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word, to stay up to date on the latest health news and information. Thanks for listening. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.